I think he was a genuine buffoon. It's clear he doesn't have his shit together. He's saying, I don't want to leave the apartment. I've adopted a monkey because I don't know what the fuck to do with my life. Like, haven't we all been there? I guess, let me ask you, Gian, as the only female on this podcast, did he seem like a realistic portrayal of men? <laughs> well, certainly, I'd say what is a representative of a man? I'm, I'm sure we've come across people who probably fit that kind of bill through Jesus. our lives. Jesus <laughs> is that representation. Well, then, no, of course not. <laughs> for quarantine comics a mysterious disease suddenly wipes out millions of people uh no ryan i'm not doing this no no no. doing 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 what are you you're not getting the vaccine well we should rename this podcast to vaccinated comics we are vaccinated yes. yes but this show while it might be called quarantine comics look we're kicking off our third season of this pandemic originated podcast but i just i can't do it i won't I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Roman. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But you have got responsibilities. You've got responsibilities to this podcast and to your family. Mostly to this podcast, your family is a very, very distant second, I would say. Well, it's not like anyone's asking me to leave my basement. But I, what well, the hell are you talking about, Ryan? What, what are we talking about here? Well, I think we're talking about this week's comic. Oh, okay. So what did you mean when you said a mysterious disease suddenly wipes up millions and millions? Well, obviously, I'm talking about... Why the Last Man by Brian K. Vaughn, which you and I and our special guest, Gian, all read. Well, shit! Mask me up, hombre. Grab your androgynous cape and let's put a diaper on this shit hurling monkey. Well, I'm Ryan Joe. And I'm Roman Segel. And thank God we are not the last two dudes on Earth because that, that would be awkward. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> <laughs> this week, we're back for season three, baby. Ryan is back in the country, I think. And we are finally reading a book that predicted all this crazy shit that would come to pass. The dissolution of our civilization. Yes, we are talking about Why the Last Man, the award-winning post-apocalyptic sci-fi comic series by Brian K. Vaughn and Pia Guerra. Guerra? Pia Guerra? Published from 2002 through 2008 by DC's Vertigo imprint. While Vaughn is now one of the most critically acclaimed comic book writers known for his work on seminal series like Why, Ex Machina, Saga, and Paper Girls, he actually got to start as a TV writer on Lost when we still weren't really sure what was up with that smoke monster. Now, Why the Last Man, which I remember reading in the heart of post-9-11 Bush era, centers on the realities of a seemingly far-fetched scenario when a mysterious global disease wipes out all male mammals on the planet. I believe the term is androcide, which I actually did not know, so thank you for adding that to my vocabulary. You're welcome. <laughs> when a mysterious global disease wipes out all male mammals on the planet, minus one man, Yorick Brown, and his pet monkey, or a capuchin, ampersand the book quickly gets past the sci-fi root cause and to paraphrase a review from good okay bad it is a very very slow race the entire scope of the 10 volume series covers five years and follows york as he and his two companions the mysterious agent 355 an american spy and dr allison mann a bioengineer who hopes to clone york to preserve the human race as they traverse the globe via foot train and boat in search of york's fiance beth last seen in Australia. Through their travels, they experience enlightening episodes with Amazons, astronauts, agents, assassins, actors, antagonistas, andro-robots, <laughs> atheists, angry Arizonans, and a whole mess of lesbians. End quote. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I will say that despite all of that mess, Why the Last Man is actually kind of cheerful for a post-apocalyptic epic. Apocalyptic you know, epic, I would say. I... I would agree. Along the journey, you're taken through a number of seemingly realistic outcomes of what would actually happen in our society, the good, the bad, and the ugly, if all the men in a male-dominated world really did disappear. I mean, airplanes would crash, most armies would fall, and neo-feminist cults would arise to burn it all down. And supermodels would drive dump trucks full of dead men. <laughs> exactly. And given the stark funhouse mirror reality that is reflected 
Not surprisingly, more than a decade later, Why the Last Man has actually been adapted for television and will be premiering on FX on Hulu in just a few weeks, which honestly, I'm not sure how I feel about and we can kind of table that. But from reading this book the first time in my 20s when everything seemed like it could get no worse and reading it 20 years later when it clearly got worse, I think it was a treat. Uh, I mean, if you want to call it that. Well, we've got this podcast. So <laughs> joining us for the end of the world as we know it is my longtime friend, Gian, who has tastes even radder and weirder than mine. Welcome to Quarantine Comics, Gian. Hi, I'm happy to be here. So Gian, before we actually get into why, can you share some of your pop culture sensibilities? Like what kind of stories and weird shit are you into across all mediums, print, TV, and film? So my weird taste have probably mellowed out as time has moved on, but... Motherhood will do that. <laughs> yeah. I think, like, the more weird and the more, like, it makes you go, what did I just watch during my formative years? Like, I remember when my husband and I started dating, I had him watch Eraserhead, and I think that was a... <laughs> Probably a weird one to kind of start off with. <laughs> Such a romantic choice. I know, I know. Well, that's kind of, yeah, there's someone that's willing to stick around for you if they <laughs> sit through your weird taste. <laughs> what are you into now? For your anniversary dinner, would you guys still settle down for some chocolates and a racer head? Some David Lynch? Probably not. <laughs> we kind of just catch your normal blockbuster movies. But I do like dabble every now and then. We have like separate Netflix accounts where like recommendations don't bleed into each other. And then there was one that I watched like Safety Not Guaranteed. I'm like, I was like, oh, that was probably kind of many years ago. But I'm like, this throws me back to my more formative years of weird well, quirky movies <laughs> what, what have you read over the years that you enjoy or you remember so i i probably dabbled in that mixed comics side of things for several years i got into reading quite a lot of the philip k dick series like after kind of the sheep of electric dreams and then a, a lot of those kind of books were kind of bleed into the sci-fi and and comics i don't think i really like went deep into the comics but I think I got into like that kind of blended side yeah. of things so I would say I was big into that kind of genre specifically awesome well, well let's get into it I think we've all had very different experiences with why over the decades and I guess I'd love to know Ryan what was your first impression I mean I know this is your second reading no Roman this is my first reading this is what the Hell? I, yeah, I haven't. What? This is why I was so bullish to read Why the Last Man, because it had always been a book that I knew about and I knew that people were talking about, but I never actually picked up. So wow. one thing I love about this podcast, you got me reading Saga, which I I knew about and had heard about and I really ended up loving. And you also got me reading Why the Last Man, which I, I knew about and was really interested in reading. And I actually kind of really hated. So... <laughs> Oh God, I missed you, Ryan. <laughs> I missed you which, so much. Uh, which I, I, we, you know, we can get into that later. I'm just curious, like Roman. I know you've read it before. Gian, I know you've read it before. What do you guys think about it? What do, what do you guys like about it? What do you guys don't like about it? Ryan, whatever I say, the reason I like it is going to be the reason you hate it. I bet. Yeah, so, probably. Like, but that's that'd I'm be fun. <laughs> I've only read this book twice. When it came out. And it was probably the, one of the first books that I decided to only read in graphic novels. So I wasn't reading the issues as they came out. I was waiting for every graphic novel so I could kind of get my full TV season binge. A good graphic novel series, which my, this one is 10 volumes, every volume feels like a season of a TV show. And Brian K. Vaughn, as mentioned, was a TV writer first, and it felt like the pacing of a TV show. So this was being read, never mind post 9-11 Bush era, but this was being read in that golden age of television in the Sopranos, Mad Men kind of era, The Wire, Battlestar Galactica. So for me, this was a TV-like experience the first time. And I was a little worried. I have all the volumes. They've been on my shelf for years. I stare at them every time we do a podcast thinking, when are we going to read why? And I was actually kind of nervous to go back and read this one because was it going to hold up? Was it going to be relevant today? Never mind pre-pandemic, but post-pandemic or during pandemic. And it, to me, it held up. It's like a great Mr. Show sketch where it's so in its own moment. It's not trying to be specific that the story, I think, can will hold itself up 20 years from now, too. It will be weird for us to understand that this was written before the pandemic that we went through. So there's a lot of things I liked about it. 
But the biggest one is it just takes this one very, not absurd, but crazy concept, world-bending concept, and has a very realistic take on it. Like, you literally understand, like, military and political situations, and it's this man wandering that world. So that's the biggest thing I liked about it. I don't know, Gian, when did you read this, and what were your impressions then and now? So I think I read it maybe late last year. So actually reading it during my kids' (laughs) taekwondo classes, ironically. Okay. (laughs) So, and and I know that you you recommended it. So I was kind of binging through the different volumes of it. And so, I don't know, my take of it, and I'm still kind of racking my brain of it, but I I feel like it was a fairly pretty realistic scenario of what if all the men kind of got wiped out and something that strikes me is just the complete disunification of women and I know this was a big thing during the women's march of like while it was a great sense of women were united we have a common goal there's still like a lot of differences within women itself that how can you get like about half of the population to agree on anything. We can't even get pockets of people to, do, to agree <laughs> on things. So it was, it was really that part of it really resonated within when you look back in the Women's March and several years ago and kind of a lot of the fractions even between that of what it means in terms of career versus personal choices. And so it did strike that dichotomy, not even dichotomy, but just a breadth of different viewpoints and and perspectives and beliefs across the women. It's not like, oh, women is just this one-dimensional perspective. And then you see this in a lot of different apocalyptic things, even one of my favorite, 28 Days Later, this sense of multiple theories of why this happened and things that people cling on to as a reasoning of them to move on or reconcile of the irrationality of things is things that come to mind you know, in the forefront, really. Ryan, in a nutshell, why do you hate this book? <laughs> so, I mean, actually, so I did like the concept quite a bit, and I do like the world building, to Gian's point, the different factions of women, of that of survivors that emerge and how they handle the situation in very, very different ways that often come into conflict with Yorick and his companions as they move through America and then ultimately the world. In fiction, I don't like it when characters make a lot of really dumb, unforced errors, and that's the way the drama unfolds. And that happens pretty consistently throughout Why the Last Man. Why does York's mom suddenly decide 355 is... I mean, there's some exposition there. But why does she send York packing with 355, the, the secret agent, and then suddenly off-camera decides 355 is untrustworthy and for some reason enlists Israeli soldiers to go after Yorick. It's an inexplicable decision. They do some lip service to sort of explain why that happens, but it's never really a believable explanation. It's an explanation that feels like the writer trying to fill in holes. And and, and that's one example that I feel happens pretty consistently throughout the, the series. And the other issue I had with it is that Yorick, I know he's supposed to be the clown, but he's consistently the dumbest guy in the room. He's named after, obviously, uh, Shakespeare's uh, clown, Yorick from Hamlet, Hamlet right, who's yeah. a skull. Yeah. Which I have also is another thing I'm wondering, what the fuck is the father thinking? Because, like, <laughs> you're going to name your kids after Shakespearean characters. Why do you name your son after a skull? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, if you want to name your kid after a clown, like, the you know, Falstaff is, is the most famous Shakespearean clown. And he's always, like, the smartest guy in the room. He says things that are witty and intelligent. And Yorick just kind of reaches for the lowest common denominator joke over and over again, and he never really contributes much to really anything. But I think, but that's so, but hang on, that's the beauty of it, because one character growth, uh, I mean, he does start off, like, not just a buffoon, but a guy who's self-destructive, and they reconcile some of that somewhere in, like, volume three or four, but he's not supposed to be the Ubermensch. He's not Steve Rogers. He's not Bruce Wayne. He's not Tony Stark in the end of the world. He's just a dumbass dude. I don't want him to be Bruce Wayne. He's not supposed to be a superhero, but I don't believe that the choice is dumbass and superhero. There is, in that spectrum, there is a middle ground where you can kind of create a normal dude, a normal character, 
who is unextraordinary, but still interesting and still engaging to readers. And York headlining this story is just... Now, nah, see, a, I love he's, that. He's, he's, he's below average. And by the end of the book, and I'm talking... He's still like below average. He's, I mean, isn't that sad that you have to clone the all the male population based off of this dude, this dumbass? I mean, well, they don't. They choose, they choose to dumbass. clone women, and they just keep like ten or twelve of him around, just for shits and giggles. <laughs> to be clear, yeah, okay. <laughs> they actually don't choose to clone men, right? And we can get into like the sci-fi explanation of it, but I. I enjoyed York's arc. Maybe it's a commentary on <laughs> if you just picked one man out of whatever, three billion, you're going to get this below average dude. And the whole story is this below average dude just trying to become average. And he does, through the course of the book, build out his own superhero morality plays on what is right and what is wrong and trying to make the hard calls. And he, again, for the first third, he is self-destructive, and they illustrate why, and they get into that. But at that point, it shows that he's trying hard. He's failing because he's got a lot of shit on his shoulders. And even what I really enjoyed, though, how when he discovered he's not necessary anymore. Oh, it's he's actually not going to be the solution. He's just an accessory to the solution. And I think that's when Yorick really becomes his own man in this book in the story it's interesting listen to you guys talk about it and i wonder like if a little bit it was just an almost an act like when he was going through all around then they go to the cabin with 50 55s secret uh, agent buddy yeah, yeah and she does this whole ritual to try to suicide intervention of, yeah right and and i and i wonder if if a lot of his acting a little bit like a buffoon was almost more of a mental coping mechanism for what's going on like just kind of taking as it is I don't well know. I, I think i think he was a genuine buffoon like i mean you see before the 30 minutes before the pandemic he or whatever you want to call it the androside he's talking to his girlfriend in australia and it's clear he doesn't have his shit together and the only thing that's been motivating to get his shit together is this girl who's challenging him to be better and um I mean, he's saying, I can't leave the apartment. I don't want to leave the apartment. I've adopted a monkey because I don't know what the fuck to do with my life. Like, haven't we all been there? I mean, I guess, let me ask you, Gian. Two questions about, as the only female on this podcast, did he seem like a realistic portrayal of men? <laughs> and an appealing portrayal of men? <laughs> well, I mean, certainly, I'd say, what's, what is a representative of, of a man? I'm, I'm sure... We've come across people who probably fit that kind of bill through Jesus. our lives. Jesus <laughs> is <that> representation. <laughs> well, then, no, of course not. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, certainly it's a atypical character. Maybe that's the intent of the author there of, of, of picking like a very unlikely character to survive the this this Holocaust and almost is very has circumstantial events that work in his favor, but. Certainly is not what you would expect when you watch a lot of these apocalypse shows and these people who would survive. He would probably be the first people, first person to be <laughs> taken out. But yeah, and no, and then to the second part of your question, no, I, I don't know, and not in any way I would think that is an appealing sense of. But interestingly enough, at the end, he happens to have fallen in love with one of the more alpha female of characters of the of the book. So that was an interesting. Well, I mean, so spoiler yeah. alert. Let, let's jump. I mean, well, let's. I mean, let's talk a little bit more about Yorick. But I'd love to talk about some of the other characters. But Ryan, what's the hesitancy here? Well, um, I guess I, I do. Like, I totally understand in theory what Vaughn was trying to do. He's suicidal initially, which I didn't actually realize until the intervention happened. Uh, I didn't think there was. I didn't notice. Maybe I missed it. But I didn't notice any signaling of that in his characterization. Up until the woman said, up until the bondage woman tied him up and said, yeah, <laughs> you're suicidal, man. And this is your therapy, which was a little bit odd and not in a good way <laughs> because it was just, it just like, it struck me as almost like a parody. And then later on, we talk about his evolution as he deals with different situations and eventually becomes a different person. In theory, I never, I guess I just never saw that. I don't. I understand that that is what Vaughn, he was putting down blocks for that. But even at the very end, he just felt like a completely vapid human being. For instance, 
when Beth, he reunites with Beth at the end, spoiler alert, in Paris, okay, and she says, hey, actually, I was thinking of breaking up with you, and he freaks out. He's like, oh, shit, this can't go on. But it, I, I would think, like, realistically, if you are in that situation, hey, you you reunite with your girlfriend or your significant other in a post-apocalyptic landscape, a lot, you've gone through a lot, she's gone through a lot, and they say, yeah, five years ago, I was thinking of breaking up with you. You would realistically, most people would be like, okay, what different circumstances now. She was thinking of breaking up with me because her life was going in one direction. My life was going in another, which is a perfectly legitimate reason to break up with somebody. But hey, look, here we are now. Things are different. I, I don't understand his wigging out over that. And then his next step is to just kind of go to 355 and confess his love to her. Oh, I really loved you. And it's almost, I know that's supposed to be a big, I guess, romantic moment, a moment of self-realization, but it really, the way it was structured, made it feel like, oh man, he needs a rebound. And so it, it, I never got the sense of any progression of Yorick. It's fine to have the character be a complete buffoon early on, especially if that's your intent. But I felt like despite... Vaughn's best intentions, despite his attempt to kind of create the sense of character evolution, Yorick was consistently just a dumbass. That that is true. I feel like they the author did take a lot of liberties in his character, and I feel like the one character I felt like had the deepest progression in character is probably his sister. I feel like she's gone mm. through. I feel like her character matured and went through more ups and downs and evolutions than any other character in the book that I feel like for whatever reason, I feel like he, I don't know if it was intentional, put more emphasis, more detail around her. Hero was more interesting, I think. I mean, like she went through that, that brainwashing and then that deprogramming. The deprogramming happened a little bit fast, but then, and then she has this moment where she's trying to redeem herself because of what she did in the past. Hero was actually much more suited to be a hero, so to speak, of this sort of book because she actually did have a more arc. interesting arc throughout. Well, and, I, I think, well, like, I think, like, her brainwashing, I didn't quite buy that because she was such a headstrong woman before the apocalypse. Like, she knew what she wanted and she was going to do it and she seemed like tough. And so it seemed like weird that she would suddenly be so easily brainwashed. But well, that I mean, detail it, aside. It's funny. The only part of the... Uh, at first, I didn't fully buy that she was brainwashed, that she was just weak and succumbed to kind of, you got to survive. You got to do what you got to do to survive. And the moment it becomes clear that she was brainwashed was when she's literally seeing whatever the head of the daughter of the Amazons, like all the time following her around, even though she's dead. So... I don't know. I wish man. they did more with that, by the way. And then Vaughn was just like, okay, we'll forget about that. She's no longer brainwashed. Because that was like a cool, there was that cool moment of tension where you think that she's going to kill the little infant kid because she's being influenced by Victoria's ghost. And you're like, ooh, this is good. But then nothing really comes of that. There's no real action from, uh, that I can remember at least, from that, from that, there's no payoff. You know, you, you set it up and then it's just kind of like, it goes away. It's such a weird, creepy element. And it was disappointing to me that he just did nothing with it at, at the end. I want to come back to the, the Yorick romance thing. There was one page, I actually flipped to it, that made it believable for me. So post-Beth Coitus, post-breakup with Beth, and going to confront 355. And I, I'm just going to read a passage. He says to 355, For a million wrong reasons, I need to believe that Beth was why I kept putting one foot in front of the other. But it wasn't who I was marching towards. It was who was marching next to me every step of the way. And I felt like that summarized the whole book. Like he had this idea of what the solution was. Just like we had the solution that York was the solution to solving the Anderside. And that's not what the book was about. The, it was less about the destination, Beth, solving to clone men, all these things. It's the it friends was, you make along the way. Yeah, it's fuck not that. about the journey. It's the friends yeah. you make along the way. Well, I was going to say it's about the journey, not the destination, but even better. And again, uh, maybe I'm a sucker for it and Lost made me cry more than too many times. But one page later, there's a bullet in 355's head. And at this beautiful moment of resolution, they just rip it all away from you. And they did it a few times. And I don't know, man. And again, there's, a, I think, a pretty decent conclusion. And we can talk about the quote-unquote faux science of what happened, how they solved for it and all. But the character drama of it 
felt earned to me. And all of the supporting characters, I I do think some of the supporting character arcs could have been done better. Alter and Hero, both of their arcs left me wanting more, but I was okay with it because they were supporting characters. Like, what I wanted was that resolution and that tragedy at the end with York and 355, and I got it. And that's what made the book go from being a pretty good, pretty good journey to a really great character drama that, that I had just been along the ride for. Yes, the scene where 355 is killed, I, well, that was actually kind of the most impactful scene for me emotionally, I think because we had been with this character for so long and she'd been through so much and then for it to be taken away at this kind of moment of truth. That actually did resonate with me. When it was earned, the emotion was, of that moment was earned. Yeah, I did like that. I did like that moment. I alter what the f- what was what was her arc? Like she really just wanted to kill herself. Like there's easier ways to do it, man, than flying to I think America. It was, I think it was Yorick's arc. No, she had to, to be the ultimate soldier. She had to be killed by the last man. I think. Yeah. I mean, again, it felt like okay. that part was pulled out of Bond's ass at the end. Yeah. But it, you needed a villain, like, so they made her the villain. But she was more yes. interesting as a character than a villain to me. Yeah, that feels a little bit far-fetched. Oh, it was almost like a rosebud moment. Like, this was culmination, and it was like that, and you're like, oh, okay. (laughs) I I have a question for you guys. Like, I don't want to obsess over the TV show, which hasn't come out yet, but I remember when I read Walking Dead as it was coming out, and I remember thinking, man, this would be an amazing HBO show. If it ever happens, it'll never happen. And then it did, and it became like the top-rated cable show, blah, 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 blah. Everyone cares about Rick and zombies and Michonne and all this shit. <sighs> Why is it about to come out? Like, So we've read it. We have opinions and disagreements on it. Do you think people are going to get into this show, get into this weird-ass story? Never mind if it's... Assuming it's good, assuming it does the material justice, blah, blah, blah. Do you think people are going to get behind this story now that it's going to be out for the masses. Yeah, but I think it's going to be... It's they're, they're, I'm actually really excited for the show. As much as I, I had issues with the execution of Why the Last Man, I did like the concept. I do think the skeleton is definitely there. I think it feels dated. It feels like a 2010, especially attitudes towards homosexuality. There's a subreddit called Men Writing Women, that that became popular and it's basically men trying to write women and sometimes it's a little bit like cringy and i i felt like some of this material in why the last man would actually fit there Mm. in the comic is there an example like of a moment that yeah there's the squirt gun fight between york's having a flashback with the squirt gun fight between him and beth yeah and i don't know they're making all of these weird period jokes which I don't know. I mean, I've never been in a relationship where my significant other is making like period jokes around me. So it just seems like that's like the way a man thinks like a woman. Oh, it's like this would be the coolest relationship, the coolest girl ever. Yeah, right? yeah, sort of. Thing. I don't know. I mean, Gian, what do you what do you think? I'm a dude. So maybe I'm just talking out of turn here. Yeah, honestly, I'm trying to remember that. See, I don't remember that exchange. I mean, yeah, some of that dialogue did seem a little bit immature, sophomoric. But I'm not... I don't know. It never. It didn't strike. Didn't come out at me. Maybe it was a bit more subconscious for me. But I could totally get what you're saying about it. Is obviously written by a man writing about androcide. So certainly, I, I get that perspective. And in terms of the show, I don't know. I looked at the trailer right before, and it looked good. I guess my thoughts would be if part of this, the comics, kind of was paced a certain way, and I wonder if that pace would be captured and would be capture enough attention by the mainstream to get some of those subtleties across as I is what I wonder. Well, pacing's worth talking about. One of the things I actually really loved about the book, it's a five-year run of a graphic novel. And if not between every volume or between issues, you do see these massive time hops, right? So the book itself takes place over several years as they kind of span the globe, trying to figure shit out. Months later, years later sometimes... So the issues of the comic just felt like snippets, which I really liked. They didn't show everything. There's so much reference to adventures that happen in between the issues. There's like all these inside jokes that we're not party to. And I wonder if the show is going to be able to do that. Um, Like something with Game of Thrones, for example, a lot of people didn't pick up that between episodes or seasons, like years had passed, right? It's not every other day in these episodes. 
But I really did appreciate that, like, self-referential. Remember that time when we had that thing with those people? And ha ha ha. Like, I enjoyed that because, again, the world felt lived in as we were living through it. Yeah, I so I have mixed about. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I was like, as much I knew as soon as I said I loved that part, I was like, and Ryan hated it because I didn't hate it. I'm mixed about it. I'm mixed about it because I do. I see what you like about it, and I it's it's it makes the world feel fuller, which is awesome. But and it really helps with the world building. On the other hand, most of this book is just like I got to get to the monkey. I got to get to my girlfriend. So it's there's a this quest. quest. Okay. There is this quest. quest situation. So like, why is he suddenly in like Papua New Guinea? Why is he, what's he doing there? Like, like, how does that, so there's always this kind of lingering question of how did you take this detour? Because the book is so strongly focused on this. I need to get to this destination now. I need to find. But, but they're that. not in control. They're not in control. They can't. It, Papua New Guinea, they're on a submarine. The submarine probably had to stop for refueling. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. Like, I mean, maybe, but I guess, but it doesn't go without saying, right? You almost kind of want like a little signal that it, it, it actually kind of probably would have been a little bit stronger, honestly, without the quest narrative, like without always, I have to get to this woman. I, I know that that's sort of like a good engine where you can kind of like keep the narrative momentum going forward. But as this book progressed, it became clear that he was interested in exploring this world. And in a way, because of that, the whole quest in the background actually kind of worked against him how do you feel about the faux science the reason that the world ended like everyone thinks they're the reason that the world ended everyone's got is it this artifact is it the fact that i did this thing is it the fact that i cloned this like how did you feel about those moments in the payoff i think in volume seven eight or nine when they explained what actually happened did it feel believable or did, did you even want to hear the solution or sorry the reason well gee and you're the science person here <laughs> science she's science turned marketing like me come on I'm like pseudoscience <laughs> well that's what this book was that's the same with why last man <laughs> i mean in a way I was, you were like okay i think i guess i'll have to buy into that but i don't know i always go back and forth there's a lot of sci-fi shows where they don't tell you and and then they just go along with it and you're like kind of curious like well, what really happened? Well, that pissed everyone off about Lost, remember? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then so so I'm, it's always like a back and forth, but I don't know. It felt a little bit unsatisfying, <laughs> to be honest. But You don't like the fact that the whole universe is connected, man? And the universe <laughs> knew? Well, it was a little bit of like just happenstance, which I feel like a, that was a big part of the book. So I guess it's not too far off that it just happened to be by chance. The two monkeys got swapped, Empress Aang got swapped, and this happened to be fall upon Yorick. But yeah, in a way, it, it goes along with the style of writing and just the general the storyline of it. So it probably is a more believable, more reasonable fit for this book. But yeah, it was a little bit when it when they kind of revealed it. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> well, what's funny? It's funny. The, the the cause of the problem is this weird sort of we're all fucking connected, the universe, the force, and all that shit. Mm -hmm. And then the actual solution to that. So the cause of the problem is this deeply philosophical, godlike, we're all connected bullshit. And, but then the solution is literally monkey shit. It's literally the coincidence of he accidentally got a monkey that flings shit on him. And I found that juxtaposition fucking hilarious. Like, never mind if I believed it or liked it, but I was like, the problem was this like big metaphysical thing and the solution was this fucking coincidence. Like, I don't know. Yeah, so I don't mind that the explanation for the deaths was kind of idiotic that's cool i do i do, I think it was a mistake though to make that like one of the central mysteries of the book why did all the men die oh my god because that kind of builds up the mystery and then you kind of start to expect a really interesting solution and when the solution is so so no solution of, would be satisfying because the mystery is so great i would probably not even make it a mystery or something like that i would probably just not make it part of the drama either they explain it early on or it's something they just kind of stumble into but when it's kind of held over your head it's a narrative engine right once it's, it's a mystery it's a narrative engine that's pulling you through in through the story and when you get to that destination and you realize 
Yeah, clones, man. Cloning it, is you're bad. just like yeah, you're just like oh fuck. I I I got invested for that. So I think probably if he had a really cool explanation for it, by all means. But given the fact that the explanation really made no damn sense, it probably a mistake to hinge so much of the drama on the mystery of why the men died. But there was a ninja, Ryan. There was a ninja who was like, I, God, I was hoping she would be more interesting too. Um, well, because she comes in and she's got this mystique. And who is she? And she's awesome and badass and cruel. And then it's sort of like, yeah, she's just this like shoplifter who the dad put through training. And it's to like, ninja school. He sent her to ninja okay. school. Okay. Yeah, he sent her to ninja school. All right. That's. There's no reason for her to do what she did other than because the guy was nice to her. It's like, oh, come on, man. There's got to be more to it. You create these, these interesting, I mean, maybe that's, that's he, it makes sense that he was a writer on Lost, which I didn't know. You know, you create these interesting setups, these interesting mysteries. And then the payoff is like he had five minutes to come up with a payoff before he had to turn it in. Well, for me, the beauty of Lost was the thing that pissed so many people off which I disagree wholeheartedly with is there never was any payoff to all the mysteries and all the mystery you set up where JJ Abrams style, who was part of Lost too, the mystery box, the mystery itself is more interesting than the answer that's inside. And then the way Lost compensated for that was really fucking good character drama. So I do agree with you. Like I, I could buy the explanations. I was entertained by them. But the mystery of it was always better than the explanation. And so I think had you focused on, I don't know, even with some of these mysterious characters, the character drama and the tragedy of the characters, that's what Lost did so well. I guess that's what Beth was, essentially. I mean, she was this idolized image that he was clinging on to, and that was his drive. And ultimately, you knew it was going to end up not Bad living name, up yeah. to expectations because he raised it up to a certain level that it was never going to live up to his his satisfaction, obviously. Is that a I metaphor think... for the book for you guys? No, <laughs> I think Beth is a really good example because she has this moment of like, hey, I'm going to break up with you. And that's a big shockwave for York because it upends all of his expectations. Contrast that to some of the other mysteries, like here's why all the men are dead. It just almost kind of peters out. It's this weird sci-fi explanation that requires a lot of weird exposition to get to it. And when you finally get to it, there's no real emotional pull. None of the characters are emotionally invested in the result. So it just peters out. Versus at least with Beth, and I know I was... bitching about what happened after Beth revealed she was breaking up with him. But at least up until that moment when she said, I was thinking of breaking it up with you, you can see how that changes everything that Yorick expected. It, it That actually rocks his world more than the stuff the about world. how the men died. Yeah, so that up to that point, mystery worked out. Well, I mean, with respect to Yorick, he actually didn't care about any of that shit. Like, he never cared True. about solving True. the problem. He only wanted to get to Beth. So it's understandable why that would rock his... Because all that other shit, even ha- make some comments like, science, 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 I don't understand science. Blah, blah, it's blah. It's not even science. It's just like, it's just like, ooh. It's the force, science. man. It's the, <laughs> it's force. the force. We're all connected. Yeah. Well, I want to get something out of the way. Um, Pia Guerrero's art, like, and I'm curious to get your take on this, but for me, her art was so perfect for the book because it was so stark and normal. Like the whole book, uh, whether you liked it or not, everything was anything but normal situations. And her simple, like clean art style, which reminded me a lot of Steve Dillon from Preacher, Dave Gibbons from Watchmen, and a little John Byrne, it made all of us feel real or like a really good TV show I was watching because all the fucking weirdness, all the explanations, all the mysteries, was just kind of like starkly laid out in a very matter-of-fact way. I don't know. I mean, was that enough for you? Or did it fit? Did the art fit the story? For me, she's a clean storyteller, right? She's not flashy, but I don't. I think having like a flashy artist would be probably a mistake. So as you mentioned, Yorick's supposed to be just is, is a mundane dude. He's an average dude or below below average dude <laughs> and so that that it, it makes sense that the art style is just almost kind of prosaic she's just kind of like focusing on telling the story uh, pia guerra is a good she's a good storyteller she's a good visual storyteller so yeah i was 
I was like, A-okay with it. It was fine. <laughs> yeah. I did notice that like the covers of each of the different books was more yeah. engaged. And then I'm like, what? And then I read the book, you know, I read that. And then I'm like, oh, it's starkly different. Like, I don't know if it was intentional to do that contrast or or for whatever reason. But I, I, don't, I don't know if she did the covers, but that's like a common tactic for a mm-hmm. lot of these kind of like prestige non-superhero books. Right. Is like a painted cover by another artist. Like there's another series called Astro City where Alex Ross, this amazing painter, mm-hmm. paints all the covers. And then the art inside, which kind of has to do all the heavy lifting and all the work, is just kind of i don't want to say by the numbers but it's a more sequential storytelling style you mentioned steve Dillon and glenn Fabry fabry did the covers for for preacher, preacher. Yeah. and I, I actually kind of remember like martin scorsese he said that the movie poster is the dream of the movie which i thought was a really cool way of thinking about awesome movie posters and in a way you kind of think about these painted covers of why the last man is almost sort of like the dream of the issue if you yeah. if you were to dream it into existence it would it would be that cover Another kind of a TV slash cinema trick that I enjoyed was, I guess I'd call them like these dialogue cliffhanger tosses between the scenes, where like a scene closes with one character saying something and the immediate next scene or the next page or the next panel has another character like completing the sentence with like something completely inappropriate. <laughs> like, I, and I feel like that happens in, in TV shows, good TV shows at least. I don't know. I... I the TV-like nature of this book is one of the things that made it really work for me. And there's just a lot of little architecture things that, I don't know. Despite It's a, it's, all, it's a propulsive read. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a propulsive read. Even as I was kind of flipping through the pages really quickly, hoping it would get better, and it didn't. <laughs> Had to get another take in. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, hey, I, I give them credit. But I mean, it's easy to read. It's it's briskly paced, and Brian K. Vaughan is good at setting up these little cliffhanger type situations. Oh, what's going to happen next? And it makes you want to read, so you get the answer to that, even if the answer is dumb. <laughs> I found I found some of the flashbacks interesting, and I even like kind of screenshot a few of them. But there was one where, like, I think he was meeting his grandfather, and his his. Or at the nursing home, and he was telling him, like, oh, there's a lot of women here. And he's like, yeah, it's because women live longer than men. And he's like, oh, why is that? And he goes, because the women life suck the life out of men or something. Like, just weird little things like that. Like, <laughs> it's kind of comical. Like, things that would believably happen in real life. And then there was a scene where Dr. Mann, where it was like a having a flashback where her mom was like packing themselves up after I guess they were leaving her father and they were moving to the states and they're like we're moving back to the states but doesn't mean that it's going to change who we are and it was very interesting reflection immigrant experience of like we're moving but we're still keeping our identity so there's certain like little snippets that was kind of interesting flashbacks and I was trying to see where that was going to go we actually didn't talk any about Dr. Mann, but what, her name itself was A. Dot Man. But I found her character background, again, they did go deep behind all the characters. Alter, every, every supporting and major character kind of got their flashback moments. But I found a lot of Dr. Mann's, she wasn't my favorite character, but I found her backstory the most interesting. The Chinese-Japanese thing, the father having the affair, the competing scientific achievements against her father, the rejecting of her culture and the changing of her name and the rebellion. I found her backstory the most compelling, I guess is what I would say. But I didn't find her to be that interesting of a character throughout the actual main narrative of the story. Her backstory kind of made the most sense. You see this this really weird, irresponsible father the kind of like close but contentious relationship we, we she has with her mother and then the rejection of her ethnic identity when she gets into the states so in a way dr man's backstory was very very relatable and i agree with you actually as an adult in the present day dr man is a little bit she's one of the characters who makes some of the dumbest decisions 
that puts everybody in jeopardy. So as an adult, it's sort of like, what? But her backstory is actually really, really compelling. How she, so I totally agree with you there. She's not an interesting character, but her past self is an interesting character. So beyond Republican wives and airplanes and astronauts and Australia and Israel being the preeminent military forces in this world and Japanese man bots, <laughs> is there anything else worth saying about why the last man? No, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, Ryan, I've been dying to ask you this question for several weeks now. What are we reading next week? Oh, man. So, okay, we began the season with half of the world's population annihilated, and we're going to keep things lighthearted and breezy next week. Thank God. Because, yes, we are going to be reading two books by the South Korean graphic novelist Kumsuk Gendry Kim. Uh, the first one is Grass, which tells the real-life story of a young girl who's forced into sexual slavery by the Japanese army during World War II. And the second novel is Gendry Kim's upcoming book, The Waiting, about a family split apart when Korea got divided into the North and South. And joining us for that episode is Jaewon Chung, a professor of Korean studies at Rutgers University. So it should be a good one. It's like a family-friendly family romp. Absolutely. And after that, maybe we'll read something a little happier or maybe we'll just get darker. Like the pandemic, it can really go either way. No variants in this town, man. <laughs> well, Gian, thank you so much for putting up with Ryan and me and reading Why the Last Man with us. Yeah, it was fun. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Be sure to share with a friend, subscribe, and leave us a review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. See lots of pretty pictures of the books we read at qtdcomics.com. And since we're sure no one's listening, prove us otherwise. Shoot an email over to say what I got right and what Ryan got wrong. QTD comics at gmail.com. Give you a social media handle, but we're old, and that feels like too much work. I'm Roman Segel. And I am and have always been Ryan Joe.
mistakes in an aeroplane. Lenny Bruce is now free. 